Hello and welcome into the newest edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It's been a couple weeks since you heard my voice, so let me remind you, I am Colby Conway at Colby R. Conway on Twitter. And I would say with me as always, but I'm lately have been the one that hasn't really been here. So filling in for me and really running the show while I was gone, we have Matt Sells at The Sells Man on Twitter. So Matt, how are things for you? Uh, things are going pretty well. You know, we got mid-swing baseball, so that's always good. We got a whole lot of prospects coming up. And um, now I get a little bit of an off a uh, couple of weeks here for NASCAR, so I can really, really dive back into baseball, which is fantastic. And then while I was out, I guess basically you could say I was on the IL for a little bit, I, we had James Grande at the underscore, real underscore Grande on Twitter filling in. So, James, how are things going for you? Things are going well. Um, thanks for having me, guys. And, uh, I mean, how could things not be going well when your team of interest is 25 and 9? You know? Plus 69 run differential. Best left-handed pitcher in baseball. Also with the best mustache in baseball. Like, what What can, you know, what What bad can I, can really be in my life, in, in my baseball life? I guess you could say I'm on the same page as you, you know, 15 and 19 for my team, five and five in the last <laughs> 10, better than I could have imagined in any 10 game stretch coming into the 2022 season with my Pittsburgh Pirates, who we're going to get to a little bit later, along with this mustached Southpaw that James was referencing here. So Matt, I'm going to kick it over to you first. I'm a little sore on this first bullet point we have here being that he's on probably 113% of my fantasy teams this year. And that he's, is on mine. he's on that many for me too. <laughs> Absolutely. We got Jesus Lazardo, unfortunately going to the injured list, left forearm strain. Forearm is one of those trigger words because we all know what that sometimes, not every time, but sometimes can end up being a precursor too. So, uh, Matt, what are we doing here with Jesus Lazardo? Well, right now you got to hold it, hold it out, right? You got to hope that it's just a forearm strain and that he comes back relatively quickly off the. Uh, now, for pitchers, it's a 15-day IL this year, so that it like doesn't. They lengthened it so that you couldn't just manipulate your starting rotation on a 10-day thing. Um, but it is concerning with Lazardo's injury history. Right. So um, I, I guess we'll just have to wait and hope that it doesn't turn into more. The last start was not great. We'll put it that way. Um, but he other than that, he's had a pretty good start to the season for Miami. And that's kind of why I was on him was that he's like a post post hype guy who looked like he started to put it together at the end of last year and then in spring this year. So for me, I'm holding on to him until we get confirmation that he's going under the knife. And then obviously you have no choice but to drop them because uh, it's a year plus if that happens. Yeah, and it's one of those issues, too, where um, looking at the roundup that was posted where uh, it was mentioned that Lazardo actually had Tommy John surgery back in high school. And, you know, he said he doesn't feel like it's going down a similar path, but it's not very often that we get such full transparency from a player talking to someone about an injury where they're not quite sure of the of the length of said injury quite yet. So I think you're right in redraft. We're getting close to that point where he might have to be dropped. If we get any sort of information on there, if you have the IL spots for now, hold pretty much all you can do in the moment. Um, but this could end up being a drop where you're going to be, unfortunately dropping a guy who had a very good start to the season. Another reliever, Lucas Sims back to the IL, no pun intended there. 
for the Reds closer. So James, I will come over to you here with Lucas Sims, another guy that I have a lot of exposure to this season. What do you see with Sims here? Are we seeing like the minimum stint on the IL? And when he returns, is he going to step back into that ninth inning role? I mean, does it matter? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, like, I know, like, you have a lot of exposure. I know that may have hit home, but they just don't win games. And whether or not it's a lengthy stint or not, I mean, they have four saves on the year as a as a whole, as a team. Um, so, honestly, if you you need the spot, I'm perfectly fine dropping them. And then um, if the Reds are improving and they're winning games and there's actual upside to to getting saves from the ninth inning from Sims, then I'm okay going to to pick him up. But until that point, I mean, you know, another stint on the IL for a team that's just not winning games for a closer with one save thus far, uh, not very encouraging. So I'm, you know, if you have an available IL spot, it's fine. But if you don't, um, I know a couple of teams that I have, my IL spots are filled. If I, and I'm not going to drop one of them for Lucas Sims. So um, if you have an available IL spot, fine. And then would you say, I'll, I'll kind of hit you with a quick hitter to follow this up. Is there anyone, but with Sims going to the IL, someone does have to pitch in the ninth inning, yep. regardless of whether they're winning or losing. Is there anyone Fair. there that interests you, or is this like a who cares, I'm moving on regardless? I mean, Alexis Diaz has probably been their best reliever this year. So maybe he's someone to look at. Big-time strikeout rate through 16 innings this year. So I would say he's probably next man up. But can we be—I don't know if we can be—again, I don't know if we can be necessarily extremely confident that— how how many, like, multi-save weeks is he even going to have in, in Sim's place? So um, Diaz would be the replacement in my eyes. Yep, and yeah. you're right. I mean, how much are they going to get playing in a loaded division that features the Pittsburgh Pirates? Just save save opportunities <laughs> are not a plenty in the NL Central. Go ahead, Matt. I was going to say, if you're playing in like a categories league where strikeout or strikeout rate counts, sure. Then Diaz is very um, like I have on on in my dynasty league. It's a ten by ten category head to head league, right? So K per nine matters, right? Um, holds and also you know that stuff matters too, which you could still get credit for with the with the reds but not all that much because a hold has to be a save situation so right. i only have four of those on the year um but yeah diaz would be the guy for me that's most intriguing in that bullpen another arm to the il james i'll kick it back to you again for this one but tyler mcgill's going to the il i believe if i remember correctly it was his mom who had posted on twitter that it's going to be okay i don't know if i've heard of that one before uh, but anyway, love the information to see, to have it out there and that full transparency that we probably didn't quite get from Jesus Lazardo and his uh, interview talking about his injury. But talk to me about the McGill injury. It's another it's a New York pitcher that gets injured. Stop me if you've heard that one before. Um, but what are we kind of looking at here with McGill and kind of similar to Lucas Sims? Is, is he actually, unlike Sims, worth an IL spot in your mind? I mean, he had pitched well before, prior to his last start. Um, and it looks the MRI showed the right bicep tendonitis, but um, it looks like he's going to start throwing by the end of the week, which I think is pretty encouraging. Um, so, you know, IL stint retroactive to the 12th. He's going to throw by the end of the week. If he's good, I mean, he could be back 
relatively soon, um, considering we're already on day four of that 15-day IL stint. Um, I think McGill has been worth the IL stash. To Matt's point, if you are in a strikeout league, I mean, this is a guy averaging over a strikeout per nine innings, 37 and 34 and two-thirds innings. So um, on a team that's really good, on a, you know, an offense that has been supporting their pitchers fairly well, I think McGill is a, a pretty good hold candidate um, if you have the IL spot. And and let's be honest here. I actually trust the medical report from his mother more than I trust it from the, <laughs> from the Mets medical staff at this point. Okay. Right, because none of the Mets medical stuff has turned out to be true in the last like four years. So I will take whatever news we can get from his mom uh, (laughs) over the medical staff for the New York Mets. (laughs) I really wish I could disagree with you, but unfortunately I I cannot. Uh, So the New York rotation. Yeah, I don't know what that would do with those arms, those injuries. I don't know what to trust. Another un or not trustworthy situation, I'll kick it back to you, Matt, here, is the Padres. They have a wealth of arms, no clue what to do with any of them, where they're going to slot in. It seems like by the day we get different information here of what's going to happen. So obviously there's a couple stalwarts in that rotation, and there's a couple spots that are going to be up for grabs, or maybe they already are. So talking about this Padres rotation, mainly what we're doing with the likes of like a Blake Snell and Mackenzie Gore. Yeah, so this has been the banter of fantasy baseball for, I guess, like two weeks now since we got the hint that Snell was coming back and he was kind of on this rotation to line up for, I believe he's starting Wednesday of this week. Um, Now, as a Mackenzie Gore, I have Mackenzie Gore in two different leagues. In my Dynasty League, it does not matter if I call him up this year and use him. In my Keeper League, I'm trying to extend him a year by basically not calling him up this year. So... I would love if they decide to just keep pitching him in the rotation, but just do it at AAA and then call him back up later in the year in one league. But in another league, I'll take the innings out of the bullpen. So I myself am torn on this one. Um, But to me, I don't see why you would kick Mackenzie Gore out of the rotation. He's been pitching very, very well. Uh, He's your top pitching prospect. Blake Snell, we can't trust anymore. Right. It's been like three years since he's gone five innings in a baseball game. It seems like (laughs) Um, he's always injured. Clevenger is still coming back. So I don't see why you wouldn't just put those two dudes together and, you know, get like eight combined innings out of those two guys every fourth day um, and save your bullpen. And, you know, I've, look, their acting manager, because their current manager is undergoing some medical stuff, um, said that they're going to put probably Gore and Martinez both in the bullpen to keep them up and give the spot to Snell instead of going six rotation spots. I don't know how long that lasts, though. A, I don't trust Snell to stay healthy. Um, and B, I think they've been better when they've had six rotations and kept their bullpen uh, safe. So... That's what I'm hoping they do. But if my answer sounds about as vague as the news we've gotten, that's because that's all we know right now, right? Yep, and that's that's what you want to happen. I, I agree. I would I would do anything to keep Gore in the rotation, but that's just me, a fantasy player who has some exposure to him. So I am certainly not biased at all. James, anything to add on to that or maybe what you think could happen with that San Diego staff? I mean, I, I think we talked about it uh, two weeks ago, Matt, but... I think ultimately 
we have to see more from Clevenger too. I think he could him and Martinez are probably the two odd men odd men out because Clevenger's on a one year deal. They have no ties to him after this year. And Martinez coming back to the major leagues, it's you know, it was kinda like, let's see what we get here. Um we know what we have coming with Snell coming back from injury. And I think ultimately Clevenger and Martinez are the odd men out, especially you you can't take Mackenzie Gore out of the rotation if he's pitching this well. He's just he's been, you know, Musgrove. It's been Musgrove, Manaya, Darvish has not been great. And then you have Mackenzie Gore probably as your third best starter this year, arguably, you know, outside of a couple of Manaya starts, maybe more consistent than him. So I think ultimately Martinez and Clevenger long term are are the odd men out. And I, I do think even if Gore does have a stint in the bullpen, he's eventually going to make his way back to the rotation because, um, like Matt said, Snell doesn't go deep into games. There's injury issues. Martinez hasn't been great. He can't throw strikes. Um, and Clevenger, there's, you know, there's nothing really. If he doesn't pitch well, he's he's gone. Um, so. Also, they're they're challenging for first in the NL West right now. Right. In a in a really, I mean, they're all still over 500, correct? Every team uh, in that division, or they yes. were. I believe the Diamondbacks are still over 500, or at least at 500. Um. And so, if you're challenging for first in a division you weren't necessarily expected to win, you're gonna get Tatis back soon, probably. Um, you have some bullpen help coming back off of the IL in maybe a month or so. You have to keep your rookie starter in the rotation. You have to. The guy's been pitching well enough to stay there. And let's put it in another way. If you if he pitches this well in the rotation and then gets bumped out because of a guy who won the Cy Young four years ago is back but hasn't done anything since, what kind of confidence are you going to give Gore saying, oh, I've pitched this well, I have to pitch even better, and then he tries to force things. It does, like, yeah, I don't understand why you would give preferential treatment to Clevenger and Snell over a homegrown guy who's been the best pitching prospect in baseball almost the entire time since he's been drafted. Absolutely, and it's one of those things, too, when you look, the season's long. It's 162 games, I get it. And, you know, you don't want to say, you know, these games in, like, the – the 35 to 45 matter. But when you're in a division with a team like the Giants and especially with the Dodgers, you need to win as many games as you can. Eventually, that Dodgers team, it does not matter if half of their lineup is slumping. As long as half of their lineup isn't, they're still going (laughs) to score, you know, a boatload of runs. So you need to win games, as many games as you can now and stack up those wins because I can tell you, you know, the Dodgers nine games over 500 right now, they'll be way above that by season's end. No shot they're that close to 500. So you got to stack up the wins now. And Mackenzie Gore gives you that best chance. And some of these other guys, if, you know, the Snells, the Martinez, the Clevengers, and the Gores of the world, if any of those four are going to turn into your number one, or maybe even number two, you could say, Gore has the, the most upside to easily do that. So you have to do that. Stack those wins and, you know, just let Gore flourish. Don't mess with his confidence. That's what you need from him in your rotation. The Angels themselves have a have a guy who had a nice little debut, six plus innings, just one hit in said debut for them. And you know, he wasn't exactly one of the maybe the Gore-esque pedigree type prospect arms, but he came up pitched well for an Angels team that coming into the season, all we said was that 
they need pitching. They went out and signed about seven pitchers and we still weren't sure if they had done enough <laughs> with that rotation. So Matt, I'll kick it to you first. Um, Chase Silseth was very good in the minors prior to his promotion, had a very good debut. Um, is he someone that you see sticking with that rotation? Obviously, there's going to be growing pains for any young arm that comes up. So that's that's inevitable. Um, but what do you see from him the rest of the season uh, in particular? Yeah, so, you know, he was he was a he's a mid-round draft pick for the Angels. They're just trying to find value when they can find it. He was drafted in the 11th round uh, last year. My biggest question is what are they going to do coming up here in innings? Because so far the most innings. So he threw five and a third innings total last year after getting drafted. Then he threw 26 so far this year and in the minors, and then he came up and did the six inning start. So not a whole lot of pro innings on him. He's looked pretty good for most of those. I will say his best stint was 26 innings at double a this year. Um, but you know, I wouldn't be shocked to see him stick around and go as a bullpen piece um, going forward. They're, look, they need help with pitching all over the place, okay? So they're <laughs> going to take starters where they can take them. But I still think there's a couple of guys in their system that have a better shot of staying in the rotation um, full-time, you know, outside of Detmers, obviously, who threw the no-no last week. Um, you know, there, there's a couple of guys that I thought actually would come up, um, already this year to be, to be quite honest. Um, Jansen Junk was one of them. He's struggled a little bit, uh, in the minors so far this year. And that, you know, there's even a few other guys who are further down, not highly, um, talked about prospects. So, uh, look, I don't know. Man, the innings concern me, though. They they definitely concern me. The fact that he was this quick through the minors is definitely a bit concerning um, to me with how fast they moved him. Absolutely. So let me let me put it this way. He's someone, maybe in deeper formats, you're going to go to the end of free agency, maybe put a little bit of fab on him, not a lot. You're just basically... You don't you don't want to blow the blow the bankroll on yep. a still set at this point. Yeah, yeah, I mean, look, we've seen college pitchers move quickly through through systems, right? In fact, that's a lot of times why teams draft college pitchers is that it takes them less time to move through the system. But this guy was drafted in the eleventh round last year. Normally, if you're going to see a quick mover, they're taken higher in the draft, right? I'm not saying this guy sucks. He's got a pretty solid four pitch mix, but at best you're talking about a number four arm. If he sticks in the rotation, probably a number five starter. And there's just not a lot to, to go on history wise. It's not like I can tell you he had a full inning at triple a, and this is or a full season at triple a. And these numbers kind of compute. There's literally he's pitched literally 31 and a third total innings in the minor leagues in his pro career. That's like a month in the major leagues. So, yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I didn't go for him in my like weekly fab leagues here, so we'll see how it kind of plays out for him moving forward um, with the Angels. Now, one of the biggest stories of the past week, we got to talk about it was the fact that the Pittsburgh Pirates won a game. 
without a hit. Um, a lot of people are going to focus on what Hunter Green did, and that's fine, whatever. You know, he's walked too many batters. Let's not focus on Hunter Green. Let's talk about the Pirates. Pirates winning a game without scoring any runs. Quite impressive for a crafty, crafty team. I love using that word for them. But Hunter Green, yes, he did throw the no hair. Let's give him, actually, let's give him a little bit of spotlight here. The strikeouts are good. He's had some decent starts. Uh, I just can't get over the fact that he's walked 20 batters in 33 in the third innings here. So, uh, James, I'll kick it over to you. What are we making of Hunter Green? We know he throws the ball about 300 miles an hour, and sometimes he's either going to miss the bat one way or another, and that's because the guy swung and missed or because it's a ball, and it's just going to be ball four or strike three. So, James, what are you thinking with Hunter Green the rest of the way? I'm ignoring the one and six record. The strikeouts are good. Those walks are just way, way, way too much of a problem. Yeah, it's the walks and the home runs, too. 11 home runs and seven starts is a lot, and I know five of them came in Milwaukee, but it's not like he's not going back to Milwaukee this year. I mean, they're in his division. So um, definitely concerning there. Uh, the walks, you know, don't have to repeat that. And I think you shorted him a couple miles per hour when he said 300. I think it's mm-hmm. uh, probably like 350. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I definitely have interest long term. It's just like I play in a loss in a league that counts losses. That's, you know, that hurts quite a bit. Um, we've only seen one quality start. Yes, it was a very quality one, but like how many times is he going to get through six innings if he's walking four plus batters per outing? Um, he's already walked four plus batter four of his seven starts. I mean, it's, you know, if this was DFS, he would just, I would just write GPP next to his name, right? Like it's just what he is. He's a, a, a weekly, He's someone you're going to have on your roster and you're going to look at the matchup and you're saying, hmm, probably not going to use him in Milwaukee uh, this week and move on from there. Because I, I, I don't have like a lot of faith in Hunter Green just plugging him in. I think it's it's really matchup proof or uh, matchup based moving forward. Yeah, he reminds me of that scene in Bull Durham with Nick Le, uh, with Nuke Lelouch where they say he walked five guys, hit uh, gave up five hits, five earned, hit the mascot five times, and struck out five guys, right? Like, you kind of never know where that ball is going to go when it leaves his hand. Um, but props to your uh, Pirates there, Colby, for pulling off a beat that hasn't <laughs> been done since 2008. I know the Yankees had a no-hitter in the 80s in which they lost because a guy walked, like, five guys and walked in a run. Um, but, yeah, that... It's an impressive feat to win a game one nothing in nine innings without getting a hit. And I mean, I wish they would get a little bit more attention than focusing on, you know, Hunter Green and his, you know, yeah, the team threw no hits. He also won five guys, but wish we get a little more uh, press for the Pirates for winning that game. But let's let me do a quick hitter here with Hunter Green with you two, um, real quick. No analysis needed. Which number scares you more, the five point four walk per nine mark or the two point nine seven home run per nine mark? James, I'll kick it to you first. I'll uh, go home runs considering the division he plays in. And the park. And the park. And the park. <laughs> um, I would go I would go with the home runs, too, because, well, I guess let me put it this way. The walks concern me more because I think if he stops walking people, the home runs might come down. Because I think the problem is he gets into uh, counts that are hitter-friendly counts, and then he's forced to get a little bit too much of the plate and major league hitters know what to do with a baseball that finds too much of the plate. So I think if the walks drop, the home runs will drop. And 
for this next one. I'm going to put this in the category of I have no clue what to do here. I have, I don't even have an inkling. I don't have a guess. So I will default since I'm the host. I get to default and not really answer the question. <laughs> um, so Matt, we'll kick it to you first. Is any closer going to emerge in Seattle as quote unquote the guy? Munoz, Sewald, Steckenrider, Castillo, or, or is anyone going to emerge? Or are we going to look at the end of the year and see that all four of these guys had anywhere from like six to 11 saves and, you know, maybe they help with ratios a little bit, but no one ever emerges. So again, I am defaulting because I don't know the answer to this. So does anybody emerge in Seattle or is it a closer by committee for all of 2022? Okay. So my, my actual answer is going to be that I think it's a closer by committee. I think you could see all of these guys wind up with between like six and 11, seven and 12, say something like that. Who do I think it should be? I think right now it probably should be Seawald who's the top closer option. Um, I know that Munoz was kind of the closer in waiting before he got injured and whatever, but I think that Seawald should be the guy. I don't think that's going to happen, though. I think you're going to see, like, all four of these guys, depending on days off and matchup, that they'll get the shot. James? I'm not even confident any of them end up closer. Like, Seawald has pitched the best but none of them have pitched well you know um they're all giving up home runs they all have inflated eras they're all blowing saves like it's just like sergio romo's gonna end the year closing games for them or something it's i mean how can are you confident any of them actually like there's nothing that says that any of them are gonna pitch well by the end of this year i guess i i'm gonna agree with matt it's probably seawald um now but will it be at the end of the year i don't know it's not a great situation and if that's where my saves are coming from i would look to acquire somebody else yeah you know what they probably should do is undo the kalenic ds trade yeah they could if they undo that that uh if they can go back in time um, although kalenic doesn't get you edwin diaz now. <laughs> they, could, they could just ask steve cohen nicely and see what he says all right, well, if we're just going back and redoing trades, then Pittsburgh should have their rightful <laughs> claim to Glassnow, Shane Bosin, to Austin Meadows. But and if Garrett we can just Cole. undo that. That was a good trade, Colby. Yeah. And, and Garrett Cole. <laughs> yeah, true. All the good players just would be back in Pittsburgh. That's where they all seem to start, or they end up there some way, one way or another. Um, you talked about Jared Klenick being a guy gets has struggled there in the bigs, to say the least. Uh, another one in Arizona, Seth Beer optioned back to AAA. Kind of was what we expected him to be in DFS. You know, you could use him in the right matchups, but overall just hasn't, wasn't quite great to begin the season. 25% strikeout rate, which is actually a slight improvement upon what we saw in a cup of coffee stint back in 2021. we I truly think we'll see beer at some point again here in 2022. It might be a little bit, um, but he's a guy you can probably drop for now and it probably won't cost you too much to acquire him later. That's kind of how I'm looking at it. Uh, Matt, any different thoughts from that one? No, I mean, he's a guy that was saved by the addition to the DH in the NL, right? Cause he's not, he's not going to play defensively basically anywhere. Um, not even, I don't even think he's decent enough to play first base defensively. Um, but towards the end there, he looked like a little overmatched and a little bit like he was pushing because he had gone, I think, four for his last 42 or something. Um, 
and so I think he was pushing. So I think they sent him back down to Triple A so he could get his mind right and you know refigure out his approach. But yeah, I agree with you. I think we'll see him back up in a couple of months um, when he's sorted things out. I have no. I, he's droppable. Drop him. Maybe we pick him up later, but not right now. Yep. And then what we'll do here: a little buy or sell. A couple, a couple popular names out there in the the fantasy baseball stratosphere, you could say. So we're talking if we're buying or selling. I almost want to skip James on this first one. <laughs> this answer is going to be. I think we all know what it's going to be, but a very popular southpaw who's missing bats in New York with a great mustache and just a. Johnny Cueto-esque ability to fool the opposition and mess with their timing and everything like that. All of Nestor Cortez's expected statistics are phenomenal. He's just missing enough bats to get by, getting swings out of the zone. He's not going to win with velocity. He is no Hunter Green, and in in more ways than one is he no Hunter Green. So (laughs) Nestor Cortez, James, I know that you are eagerly buying and you couldn't stand to sell this mustache southpaw. So go ahead and talk him up a little bit for us. I mean, I guess I guess it depends on the situation you're in, right? Because do we expect him to be this good for the remainder of the season? No. Do we expect a, the K rate to stay this high? Possibly. Um, so, like, yes, I would suggest buying Nestor Cortez everywhere you can. But also, if I'm currently the an owner of Nestor Cortez, I'm also not opposed to just floating him out there to see what the current market is. Um, just because I don't think a 135 ERA is sustainable. I don't think his 32% K rate is sustainable. And you mentioned like he's missing bats. It's only a 10% K rate or a 10% swinging strike rate. So like he's really, really just making batters miss when it counts the most. So um, I'm, I'm buying Nestor, but I'm also just floating him out there in, if I am currently an owner of him, just to see what the, the market is. Cause if I get something, if I'm lacking in obviously stolen bases or, or power or wherever, you know, if the right offer comes around, I'm not opposed to selling him either. Yeah, I would probably sell at this point. It's not a sell no matter what. Um, but I would probably sell for all the reasons you said, right? We're going to see regression. Um, and if you sell him, the guy, the person you're selling him to doesn't get credit for what he's already done, and you don't lose credit for the fact that he was already on your roster. Right. Um, and, you know, you, you have to believe that the Yankees are going to slow down, right? Their pace is whoa, going whoa, whoa, to whoa, slow whoa, down. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's just they're, the offense isn't isn't built to keep this sustainable, right? There's not a whole lot of contact being made except for home runs that wind up 400 feet into the stands, right? So if their offense slows down, it becomes harder for Nestor to pile up the wins when he does last five innings. The ERA isn't sustainable. You've got to think he's not going to be able to run the gauntlet of the ALEC entire season, right? Um, so, yeah, I would I would sell. I mean, I would get a nice return for him. Right. Um, but I would I would probably sell him at this point. Yeah, it's it's interesting with the Yankees. Like, can they win a game without getting a hit? I don't think they can. <laughs> it's that simple. Very, very few teams can. And that's 
that's a knock I have. <laughs> that's a knock I have <laughs> on the rest of the league. Through, I almost made it through without laughing. That was my goal. I almost had it. Um, anyway, uh, Tommy Edmond in St. Louis hitting just 235 in May. At least he has the three stolen bases, and that's about all you can say with him. He needs to be at the top of the order to, you know, get stuff done for fantasy baseball managers and like, you know, for the year, he's got a couple stolen base. So he's okay there. He's not going to be a guy that hits a ton of home runs. He, he'll luck his way into, you know, maybe low double digits. Like what he did last year is probably a pretty good estimator for the most part. Like, he's not going to be a 20, 40 guy by any means, you know, best case scenario, probably 15, 30, 15, 35, if all really goes well, but are you buying or selling Tommy Edmond right now? Mainly because he does provide quite a bit of juice in the most fickle offensive category, uh, which is stolen bases. So, Matt, what are you doing with Tommy Edmond? Well, I've been a Tommy Edmond fan for a little bit now, so I'm probably going to be buying him. I think his bat is warming up. I think all of the Cardinals' bats are warming up. We saw this a little bit last year where their offense started terribly, and then in the in the summer they made a run, and a bunch of their stats came during, like, the summer months. Um so, yeah, I, I think I'm going to be buying on Edmund. Again, I'm not going to give up the farm to go get him. you got to make reasonable moves. If he's on the wire, great. I don't think he will be. But I, I would be buying Edmund at this point. Um, I think just the whole Cardinals team is warming up as the weather in St. Louis warms up. I agree completely. I think, isn't it, it's wild to see Edmund's uh, walk rate where it is. 2019, 4.6. 2020, 7%. 2021, 5.5%. 2022, 11.4%. A 6% point jump in walk rate has led to a massive jump in OBP. Um, so whether or not he is struggling in May, I mean, a 370 OBP or just a tick below it is nothing to, you know, is very good, especially for a guy who's leading off, who we know is a, 30 stolen base type of player. We we got that last year. Um, the runs scored is is a big thing too. 24 runs in, in 33 games is pretty good output as well. So um, we could be looking at a guy who gives us 100 runs this year, potentially if he stays healthy, flirt with 100. He had 90 last year, uh, nothing, you know, and he's on a better trajectory this year. Plus we know that the speed is 30 plus upside. So I'm definitely buying Edmund, especially if this type of, OBP Edmund sticks around. Um, nothing really to to dislike about him other than what you mentioned at the top, Colby, the, the the struggles in May, but then Matt, you know, correctly alluded to, you know, summer months we'll see. And and the and the new base the, the new old baseball is back too, guys. We right. can't we can't forget about that. Absolutely. And the last one here for buy or sell will go to Cleveland with Josh Naylor. So what we're seeing here. Still hitting a ton of ground balls. Power's been decent, though, with five homers and 72 uh, at-bats. He's hitting nearly 350 with an OPS. That's about a couple extra base hits away from uh, the pristine four four digits there with an even uh, 1,000 above. Uh, I'm skeptical on him. I, I haven't really been scrambling in any of my leagues to add him, mainly because I missed because I was just rather cautious i should say um so are we buying or selling nailer here the rest of the way matt you first uh i'm gonna be selling on nailer i don't think that this is now let me put it this way like can i split this into two things i'm gonna sell on him as the baseball player 
But if I need a motivational or hype coach, I'm definitely <laughs> buying him. If you see the video of Josh Naylor going nuts for one of his most recent home runs and then he takes it out on the helmet, I definitely need that energy in my life. What I don't need is a guy whose numbers are about to plummet because he's never been this good at hitting baseballs in his <laughs> in his career. Um, plus, I just don't like the whole of like the Guardians offense at this point, really. So I, I think this is a very good stretch for Naylor, but I think that's all it is. I don't think it's it, he sustains it. Um, the power may stay, but everything else is going to. Is gonna go, and the power is not gonna stay at this rate either. So, I'm I'm off of Naylor. Uh, all the all the Statcast numbers and everything, all the expected numbers suggest that he's. This is we're in it for the long haul. All of it, but like, do we trust that versus what we've seen from him for? Three years, right? In in small in smaller samples, but for for three years, I don't know. Um, I'm probably selling as well, but also he's probably on your waiver wire, possibly on your waiver wire. And if he's there, doesn't hurt to like pick him up, take a shot on him. If he continues, you know, the stock can. I mean, once he comes off the COVID list, um, if the, if he continues to hit, I mean, it's a great selling opportunity. So. Uh, if he's available, it doesn't hurt to pick him up and, and see what you got. If he continues hitting, sell, because uh, there won't be a better value than than now and, and possibly a couple weeks from now. Absolutely. And then one quick level of concern. I'm going to wrap. We're going to keep this pretty short here. Uh, we're going to go Jose Barrios in Toronto. So, James, I'm actually going to kick it to you first. Uh, scale of 1 to 10, 1 being not even worried about it, 10 being um, I'm kind of – low-key high-key really freaking out <laughs> as the kids say so le- levels level of concern one to ten for toronto's jose barrios uh i will go 6.9 nice mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. concern matt i will go a little lower than that i'll go like five and a half okay interesting enough i would be around a 7.2 so i'm a little bit more <laughs> concerned than um, both of you. So one of the things we like to do here, wrapping up this podcast, is the prediction for the week that lies ahead. Last week I wasn't here, but I got the scoop in that James was correct with the no-no. And Matt, you were pretty damn close yourself. You almost had it there uh, with the Astros. So this week's predictions, um, let's say, feature quite a bit of prospect hype. No surprise there, as we like to go with those. Um, I will go ahead and go first here. So mine. I think Pittsburgh's O'Neal Cruz gets the call. You know, that offense could use a little jolt to say. Really? They scored? They they won without getting a hit. They did, but, I mean, you can't (laughs) do that. They, I mean, if any team can do it 30 times a year, it's going to be them. But to win more games like that, you know, you're going to need at least one or two hits. So might as well have those hits be productive. And, you know, Cruz can't keep hitting the ball 187 miles an hour down in the His There's going to be some strikeout risk to say the least with him he'll have some swing and miss in his game but boy if he comes up the the fantasy potential is quite tantalizing to say the least so o'neill cruz gets the call this week that is my prediction matt what is your prediction for the week that lies ahead so i was originally going to go with jaron duran getting called back up because he continues to be very very good for uh the triple a affiliate there 
Um, but I can't really find a place for him to play because they're not going to dump Jackie Bradley Jr. as much as I want him to be gone. Um, but, like, just simply keep an eye out for Duran because the right, right now the Red Sox offensively in the outfield rank either third worst or second to worst in basically every offensive category, and they're only, like, ahead of Oakland in all of those, which is not a great situation but my actual uh, prediction here is that Adley Rutschman gets called up um, we see in some places he's the top prospect in baseball I think he gets called up he probably should have made the team out of camp had he not gotten injured he says he's a full go his play at AAA appears to be showing that and let's face it the O's catching duo is terrible right now it's horrendous so if you want to spark for selling some tickets and seeing what's coming up next um, for the O's, you got to get Adley Rutschman up there. He doesn't have anything left to prove in the minors. So I think we see him probably this weekend for the Rays series. I don't think they're going to, I don't think they're going to get the benefit of selling tickets against the Yankees. So I think they call him up for the Rays series. If that does in fact mean the case for the, uh, DFS heart of the order place for Yahoo this weekend. When I do the video, I can nearly guarantee that he will be he will be in there. But James, wrap it up. What is your prediction for the week? I'm going to go with uh, Rangers star leadoff hitter Eli White. It's going to swipe five bags this week. Um, he got four last week and a kind of surprise. And I think um, he's kind of somebody that we could look to on the waiver wire if you're desperate in that category. Already seven steals on the year for a guy with just 38 at-bats, but uh, has let off in three straight games um, and has, you know, a decent schedule upcoming this week. I know he does have to face Justin Verlander, but other than that, all guys that um, he can run on. So I'm going to go Eli White as a cheap multi-position eligible waiver wire pickup, by the way. Uh, five stolen base week. Um, to boost your uh, your st- steals in, in that category. And there it is, the predictions for the week. O'Neill Cruz gets the call, Adley Rushman gets the call, and Eli White steals no more, no less than five bags this week <laughs> atop the Texas lineup. So keep an eye on him if he is available uh, in your league's free agency. But that will put a bow on this week's edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We'll be back next week. Maybe we'll have James. Maybe we won't. Hopefully we will, but that'll be the surprise. You're stuck with Matt and I. That's just how it is. Get used to it. And hopefully hopefully we'll have James's lovely voice to be the, the third of our trio here for the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Uh, I'm Colby Conway, at Colby R. Conway on Twitter. So you can give me a follow there. Make sure you follow Matt at the Salesman on Twitter and James at the underscore real underscore grande on Twitter. We'll be in the Fantasy Alarm Discord channels for any questions that might pop up throughout the week, but we'll be back next week with another edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. And until then, have a great week.